0: Welcome to Crime and Fiction, where we tell you all about the crimes and all about the fictions. Hello, Brooke. <laughs> How are I, you?
1: I'm good. I thought you were going to introduce me.
0: Welcome to Crime and Fiction. Sitting alongside me today is Brooke Davis, uh, Brooke Dakis. Wow, <laughs> you
1: didn't even get my name right.
0: It's Brooke Dakis. as always. You guys know that. How are you, Brooke?
1: I'm okay it's you know
0: we took a little bit of a hiatus
1: yeah unfortunately we had to we could not record a podcast last week
0: or the week before or the
1: week before and that was What, what happened to you well unfortunately
0: something significant happened to her guys
1: okay thanks for the preface um I tested positive for coronavirus
0: wait did you sign off on HIPAA
1: Oh, well, I'm waving HIPAA. You're waving HIPAA. Yeah, I'll wave HIPAA right now. But right. I did. I, I tested positive for coronavirus. Did you really? Yeah, I really did. And
0: No, you didn't.
1: I, I really did. I'll show you my my records.
0: So you tested positive for COVID-19. It,
1: it's that's kind that, of crazy. That's going
0: to be something that you get to tell your, your kids about and your grandchildren about.
1: Yeah, we'll see if we get there. But, you know... It was crazy. It was really crazy, you know, because, you know, originally you kind of think, oh, if I get COVID, I'll be fine. I'm young. I'm healthy. It'll be okay. Like yeah. whatever. And I started out when I first tested positive. I didn't feel that bad. I felt, you know, I was working out a couple of days before. It was yeah. all good. And then, you know, it, I slowly started to deteriorate to the point where it just, I was so, so sick.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a serious illness. It's serious. No,
1: definitely. And I think that, you know, when you have it and the way it affects you, even if it doesn't even affect you that much, having the virus just shows you that it, it's a real thing. It's affecting so many people. And what's crazy is it, you know, I think that at least in Texas and where we're at, cases are steadily increasing. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's uh it's they certainly are increasing. And uh, you were a casualty.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, But You,
0: you should have wore a mask. You, you
1: know, didn't. I did wear a mask. I wore you, a mask. You
0: should have wore a mask. Had you wore a mask, you would have been fine.
1: You know, I've You been, were
0: out two plus weeks for a decision you made. Okay. I wore my mask and I washed my hands. So are you say masks don't work? No, 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 okay. no. Okay.
1: I believe that it was probably a, a client I came into contact with who maybe... Have been asymptomatic himself.
0: Yeah, were you asymptomatic for a little bit?
1: For a, I think for a little bit, you know, I I started to develop my cough and mm. my cough, I mean, my chest, and I thought it was allergies because I have really bad allergies too. So it was kind of hard to be like, well, you know, is it COVID or is it allergies? And then you know, when I started to get the really bad chest pain right. and the headache, that's when I was like, maybe I need to get tested. Right. And I got tested, and it was positive.
0: Right. So. Well, Anyway, I'm, we're glad you're doing better. Well, I
1: am and I'm glad to be back because, you know, we have a lot to say and a lot to talk about and we want to be able to talk to our listeners.
0: Let, let me just tell you this, Brooke. I am so happy that you're okay and you're here with us.
1: Oh, thanks, Mary. I'm, I, I'm glad you're okay, too. I,
0: I, know, I know it sounds cheesy, but, you know, I know there are people listening to this that, ha- that know someone who have passed from COVID-19. It is serious. Please protect yourself. I'm very happy that you're okay, Brooke.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I would say is just wearing a mask, washing your hands, you know, just be smart, be safe. That's It's just so important. Um, So anyway, Mayor, how how's your week? Or I guess last few weeks because it's been a while. Yeah, we've been out
0: for a couple of weeks. There's there's no way I I would do a podcast with you while you're positive COVID-19. So
1: Well, I don't think you wanted to be with me when I was positive for COVID-19 anyway. So
0: I'm just kidding with you. Yeah, uh sure. Well, you know, some future topics that we're going to have to talk about, it's going to have to be the Breonna Taylor. We're going to have to revisit that. I think a few days ago, they're releasing the grand jury. The grand jurors actually discussing that case.
1: The grand jurors who did not indict the police officers who shot her.
0: Yeah, that's that's the position position that you're taking, or the um,
1: I mean, I guess that yeah. I mean that's the grand jury transcript you're yeah, talking about. You're right? so right.
0: You're so right, Brooke. Yeah, the grand jurors that decided to no bill the officers for any type of murder.
1: So they had. I thought. Okay. So here's my thing: is
0: they released that, I, and they just ra- it rarely, rarely of, will they release it. Well,
1: I know, and that's kind of crazy because grand jury testimony is supposed to be secret and private, and they're not supposed to release it. You're right. How'd it get
0: released? Well, I th- I think they the folks in Louisville, Kentucky decided to release it, or I'm sure the judge did, because there's probably a lot of unrest there right now, and a lot of protesting, a lot of rioting, a lot of things that come along with rioting, um, and so he he the judge is probably saying, "Don't blame me, blame the people on the grand jury."
1: Well, the judge. Are you talking about the judge that okayed the search warrant?
0: No, I'm talking about the judge that okayed releasing the recorded transcript of the grand jury. Well, there's no way
1: that the judge even would have been responsible for the no bill in the first place.
0: I, I, yeah, you're right, and I, you're right when you say that. But I think what the judge is saying, hey, you people made this decision, now you live with it.
1: Well, right, and members of the grand jury uh,
0: made this decision this is this is what they base their rationale on this is what was presented to them okay
1: and the thing to know though about a grand jury is it is it's people from the community so it's you know it's yeah. regular people you me really anyone can get called for just like you can get called for jury's duty you can get called to be a grand juror oh yeah and with grand juries It's really a lot of times the prosecutors going in and talking to the grand jury about the case and saying, you know, here's why you should go ahead and either indict it or no bill it, which essentially no billing it is dismissing it. Yeah. And so I think that there's kind of some, you know, I I think people maybe be like, well, with these grand jury proceedings, you know, it's really one-sided.
0: Well, I probably, you know, I haven't looked into this, but I can probably, I would bet a lot of money on the fact that the defense was able, the defense, meaning the the defense attorneys representing the police officers involved in the search warrant, I can assuredly guarantee you that their voice was heard as well. What probably happened, maybe some sort of collusion, maybe, because this is the type of case where you've got the defense attorneys and the prosecutors who are both very law enforcement. You know what I mean? No. You, I mean, the prosecutors work with law enforcement every day, Brooke. No. Okay, yeah. but You, you get you, what you, I'm saying? Yeah,
1: but you threw in the defense attorneys there. Well, so the I defense know attor- what you were saying. No, the
0: defense attorneys in this case are representing police officers. So everyone here is advocating for police officers. Does that make sense?
1: No, no, I I understand that. The prosecutors
0: shouldn't be. They
1: shouldn't be. But if they're are prosecuting
0: they, the case, they shouldn't be. And
1: I think that's what people are trying to say is maybe the prosecutors who should be advocating for essentially the indictment of these police yeah. officers, or you know, seeing if probable cause does exist to indict them, because that's what it takes to get an indictment or a true bill from the grand jury is whether or not probable cause exists to go forward on this case. And so prosecutors, when I was a prosecutor, you can kind of present the facts the way you want to present them. Yeah, You know, I didn't have any other, you know, defense attorney or even the officer on the case.
0: Yeah, you probably would read, you would read the police report and that's it.
1: Well, I'd read the police report beforehand, and then I'd give the well, grand. Well, you'd j- read
0: the police report to the to the folks.
1: No, I didn't read the police report to the folks to the grand jurors. I read the police report beforehand, beforehand, and then I gave the jurors a little synopsis as to here's what happened. You know, Billy okay. Joe. So picked
0: son, had had you, just, you picked and choose whatever drugs you picked and choose exactly. You so did. The point is, this a, a grand jury proceeding is really a farce.
1: Well, not always. I mean, there were times when I was a prosecutor where I would have a case where I don't think it should be filed. And instead of myself completely rejecting it, I would say, hey, I'll take it to the grand jury so I can tell a victim, well, hey, it was the grand jury's fault, not mine.
0: Okay. So that brings us back to the original point. That's what the judge is trying to do. Say, hey, the grand jury made the decision, not the state, not the court, not the judge. This was the grand jury. A cross section of Louisville, Kentucky, after hearing the evidence, making the decision not to bill this case for murder or manslaughter.
1: Yeah. So they're putting it on the grand jury, the people of Louisville.
0: Yeah. And that will be very interesting when I get my hands on the recording. I want to listen to it and I want to hear and see if both sides were presented. If both sides were presented, okay, I'm going to respect the decision. Um. I still agree with the decision, if you guys remember.
1: I agree with the decision, too, that they were no-billed. There wasn't enough evidence to move forward on any type of murder or manslaughter charges. I thought you didn't.
0: If I recall correctly, you didn't.
1: Didn't agree with the decision? No, you didn't agree with the decision.
0: I felt as though when you're a police officer in that situation, you've got to do whatever it takes to protect yourself. Officer safety is key.
1: I don't think that was your position. I we do not. Go back we and can. Listen. We will go back. So we will have an episode yeah. on the Breonna Taylor yes. grand jury proceedings. The point
0: is this: Brianna Taylor's grand jury proceedings will be revisited.
1: Exactly. So, yeah.
0: well, uh, other than that, guys, my week was actually somewhat busy. What'd you do? I had a. Bond bond reduction hearing for a very special client of mine.
1: Okay, for, okay, let's break it up a little bit. First of all, just let's say what what is a bond reduction hearing for those who may not know.
0: Sure, and I'm going to have to keep it very general and vague. This is an ongoing case. I cannot comment on that. Um, so my apologies, but a bond reduction hearing is someone is currently in jail, and they cannot put up put put up the money required to get released from jail. So they're stuck in jail pending the resolution of their case, unless either they can find the money to get him out or if a judge will lower the bond amount.
1: Okay. So you say this is a very special client. Why is it a very special client or who is the very special? Can you, I guess, can you give us any, maybe any little detail about the very special client or what his maybe Facts are his offenses, something.
0: What I can tell you is this. That the prosecutor's office and where I practice, they have singled him out as a bad person. Why is that? I cannot go into that, but he's been singled out as a bad person, and so they're doing whatever it takes to throw everything at him.
1: Okay, so you had your bond reduction hearing. Kind of maybe try to run us through what happened at this hearing.
0: Well, in a bond reduction hearing, from a general standpoint, that's where you make your case to the judge that, number one, your client is not a flight risk. The whole point of a bond amount is to ensure your client does not miss any court dates. It's that simple. The whole point of a bond, re- of a whole, of a bond is not to make sure your client stays in jail, I don't know if we all know this. Even the most heinous crimes can get bonded out on. Okay. Except maybe there are some certain cases in Texas where they have written and said in the statute that no, you cannot get bonded out on these. And typically those are cap that's a capital murder case where it's okay to no bond someone. Everything I think, yeah, else
1: I think every state right? every state has some version of right? that. Yeah.
0: Everything else. Which is virtually ninety nine point nine percent of the cases, the accused or the defendant is entitled to a reasonable bond.
1: Okay, in so a reasonable
0: bond for Ben Affleck, or who's hot right now? Who's who's a big movie star right now? <sighs> Justin Bieber. No, he's not he's a movie. He's a singer. Well, Kim Kardashian.
1: She's. I don't think she's. A, you're. Are you asking about movie stars?
0: <laughs> I'm talking about who. The Rock okay who's hot right now I don't in feel Hollywood? like he's hot the rock is very hot okay, okay. like
1: what did he do that warrants him to be hot
0: the rock has a has a very large following all right let's backtrack the point is this a a one, hundred thousand dollar bond for the rock versus Joe that works at the supermarket both have a hundred thousand dollar bond for the same case those are very different scenarios and, wh- and why is that broke?
1: Well, the thing is, is The Rock can easily afford either... Maybe he can afford the cash bond. Oh, absolutely. Which the cash bond is just a full amount. The $100,000 gets paid to the court and he gets out. Or he can get a bail bond company on board. And usually bail bond companies charge between 10 to 20% of the... Whole bond itself, so he'd end up paying what ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah,
0: ten ten to twenty k, which that's he probably would. He would easily put up a hundred k.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't be a problem for him. So you know, he gets booked in jail and he's out the next day. But for most people, a yeah. hundred thousand dollar bond.
0: Hold on. Sorry, Brooke. Don't mean to interrupt you, but and we don't care if the Rock is guilty, innocent, or what. Okay, the hundred thousand dollar bond is there. He may be guilty. He may be on surveillance camera shooting a person. Okay. But the the point
1: is the bond is there to ensure that he appears in court.
0: Yes. And while your case is pending until you either take a a plea of guilty or you're found guilty by a jury, you are presumed to be innocent. So let's go back to the, to the grocery store employee, a hundred thousand dollar bond for the same crime, for the same set of circumstances, will be will amount to oppression he's not going to be able to make it that's
1: a that's a lot of money well and you also have to look at the type of crime too because you know if it's a hundred thousand we're
0: saying the rock and the and the grocery store employee committed the same exact crime the same exact circumstances both on surveillance the same identical I thing. I
1: understand, but you, but you also just said $100,000 for the grocery store employee amounts to oppression. Yes. It may not amount to oppression if he just committed murder or sexual assault. Well,
0: okay. The point is this. It does amount to oppression because if he, the only reason that he cannot get out of jail is that he just doesn't have the money, then the state is using this bond amount as an instrumentality of oppression. Or that's what I would argue, and I would certainly put it in front of a judge and see what the judge says.
1: Well, you know, I'd say $100,000 is not that much for a murder, even if it's some indigent person.
0: Yeah, um, I still would look into the facts of the case. I would still look into it. I've had a murder case get lowered down.
1: From what? $500,000 to $250,000?
0: No, I've gotten lowered down. To what? I, th- I don't even know how much it was, but it was <laughs> something down to 30000
1: Okay. For a murder case? Yes. What kind murder? of murder case? A murder case. What kind?
0: A murder case where my client didn't do the murder.
1: Okay. Well, that's because those facts were known at the time of the bond reduction
0: hearing. Yes. And that's the scary part. When you get arrested and a bond is put over your head, the case has not, believe it or not, has not been fully investigated in state court.
1: Not always. No. And and the thing is, too, is, you know, you also have these coinciding principles of presumption of innocence, too. So it's you're supposed to be presumed innocence. Yet here you have a bond. So it's kind of like, well, I mean, the bond and, already assumes you're guilty and, and we Brooke, don't want you in society.
0: And Brooke, you hit the nail on the head. The whole point of a bond is to make sure you just show up to court.
1: Yeah. Well, it and is, that you're not a flight risk, that yes. you're not a danger to the community. I yes. mean, I'd say a murderer is a danger to the community. I mean, I'm sorry.
0: Correct. Correct. So,
1: I mean, that would probably yes. warrant a
0: high bond. It would warrant a high bond. All I'm trying to but say is this. In
1: your case, though, in your case this week, was it a murder?
0: No, it was not a murder.
1: Okay. So, a hun- so. the time- It was a
0: $100,000 bond.
1: Okay. And can you tell us what kind of case it was? Can let me, you let me t- think. tell us a maybe a similar type of case?
0: Yeah, that, I like where you're going with that. A similar type of case, it's called tampering with evidence. A s- tampering with evidence pretty much means this. In the state of Texas, it's a third-degree felony. The tampering with evidence statute, it's found in the penal code. And in fact, all crimes and offenses are found in the Texas penal code. This statute was created for that crazy guy, crazy or a crazy woman. There are a lot of crazy women out there too, not just men. <laughs>
1: no, I, I agree. Let's be
0: fair. That crazy person that for some reason is connected to a murder didn't do the murder. Okay. You find a dead body or a dead person or there's a gun on the person's body and you just either you clean you clean up, the the blood stains all over the floor. Here's a person laying in his in his kitchen. Your your associate killed him. And now you're cleaning up everything. That is tampering with evidence.
1: Okay. So pretty much like hiding evidence or yeah, something. Yeah, hiding
0: evidence. My case was nowhere near that. An individual um, similar, to not mine case, but a, a very similar case would be if someone gets pulled over and they find um, some illegal substance, substances in the car and the officer feels that he was hiding the illegal substance in the car. That's what mine was. Typically those cases are set at three dollars to $5,000 bond they set his at a hundred thousand wow so so that goes back to telling you that that they've got something against him
1: well i mean a hundred thousand dollars for a case that's just really do they even have the evidence to prove that he did it first of all because tampering with evidence cases are kind of hard to prove they are
0: very hard to prove and i I think you ended up watching the the bond reduction hearing so you (laughs) tell us
1: i I don't want to give a spoiler alert but i i did watch it it was live streamed on YouTube. Yes. It was a Zoom hearing, right? It was a
0: Zoom hearing. It was live streamed.
1: Yeah. So it, w- it was very interesting to watch because I think that you kind of, you know, brought to light that the officers didn't even really see the quote unquote tampering that even happened. It could have happened. I mean, the, the d- alleged drugs that they found in the car that they say were hidden could have, that could have occurred, you know, two weeks ago or yesterday or you know, sometime yeah. in the, I don't even know, but yeah. it, it, they just can't prove yeah. that it happened when the officers pulled him over.
0: Absolutely. You're so right. You're so right, Brooke. Um, but anyway, Brooke.
1: So did you get a decision?
0: I have not.
1: You didn't a get a decision yet. from the judge?
0: No, I haven't. But there's, no, I haven't. And the judge needs his, needs to think about it. And he's yeah. doing, he, he's doing his best job. Okay, because you don't make a, a rush to judgment if you're a judge. You sit down, you think about the facts that were presented to you.
1: Yeah, especially if it's kind of a you know high profile type of case.
0: Yeah, uh, because if if you are the judge, going back to Brianna Taylor, you've got to always C Y A, cover your you know what.
1: Well, yeah, because judges, they're elected positions. So, you know, if you want that, you want that seat next year, well, you got to do the right thing now.
0: Yeah, I can't believe that judges are elected. And in Texas, we know if they're, if they are a Republican and we know if they are a Democrat. That's a conversation for another time. But that tells you, hey, judges, they've got to be very careful how they rule on cases.
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, that's why they're always going to maybe take some time to render a decision like probably in your case
0: yeah but all right moving on okay we've got another big piece of news what's that we've got a very special guest here <laughs> with us today
1: we do and she's sitting right we've, beside me
0: in the crime and fiction headquarters we've got a very special guest on floor two we're on the second floor guys Se- seated right next to brook <laughs> it's well
1: she's she's pretty special
0: very special and her name is hope and uh maybe we can do an interview with her later (laughs) i I need to talk to her publicist and see if she's available but we got her here today
1: okay well actually you know sounds big but hope is our foster dog right now
0: yeah, she's a, she's a little rescue puppy. That we, she is. We and, it, you
1: know, we found her and we saw these Facebook posts and it was this little tiny dog who was so emaciated and just running kind of in this, maybe not the greatest place, um, not good neighborhood. And so we go out there and we find her. And, and, you know, right now at this point, we're just trying to nurse her back to health and find her a good loving family. But she's been a lot of fun so far.
0: Yeah, she's a good dog. I mean, she is. She's a joy to be around and I hope that we can uh figure out a way to, to house her with a very loving family. Yeah.
1: No, what, she's good. She so. she loves the other dogs, uh, the two other dogs, and she's just she's a sweetheart. So I think she is fun. And I'm gonna I'll post a picture on Instagram for you guys that yeah. wanna see.
0: Well, it is moving on, Brooke. It, we are still in the month of October. It is October twenty fourth.
1: I know, I can't believe it's already October 24th. So, that means
0: that. We're still doing our Halloween series.
1: Halloween murder series part two. So, we're going to have to catch up because obviously we're behind from missing a couple weeks because of COVID. (laughs) We
0: are. Yeah, we're catching up today. We're catching up today. We'll catch up again. you dug up probably one of the biggest murder mysteries, biggest murder Halloween mysteries that's gone unsolved.
1: Yeah, I did. And it's kind of crazy because I never, I'd never heard about this case um, at all. And so what we're going to talk about right now is the murder. I guess we can say alleged murder of a man named Christopher Jenkins.
0: Christopher Jenkins, um, he was a 21-year-old business school student at the University of Minnesota. He was a very accomplished student. He was a captain captain of the lacrosse team. He was a funny, smart guy, an academic All-American. He came from a good family.
1: He did. So on the night of... Halloween, 2002, Chris went to the Lone Tree Bar, and that's in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, and so... So He was going to the University of Minnesota, like you said. Yeah, he
0: was a captain of the lacrosse team. Damn.
1: Yeah. You know... (laughs) (laughs) Our guest is trying to get comfortable. I don't know if
0: you guys heard that, but we've got some rattling in the background. That's (laughs) Miss Hope.
1: Yes, she's making some noise. Well,
0: so Chris, getting back to the case, Chris was a 21-year-old student, All-American, academic All-American, lacrosse team captain, funny, smart guy.
1: He was. October
0: 31st of 2002, what happened to him?
1: So... Chris went to the Lone Tree Bar, which is in downtown Minneapolis. And there have been, you know, people saying that that's kind of a sketchy bar. It's not in a good neighborhood. But Chris went there. I mean, it's Halloween. He wanted to have a good time. You know, he's probably had these crazy long days in college, and he's 21 years old. And...
0: Right. So he goes to the bar... It's Halloween. He goes, to, he goes there dressed as an Indian, as a Native American, dressed in full garb. And looking at this case from his point of view, you're the captain of the lacrosse team, academic All-American. It's the one day during the fall semester that I'm going to be able to put my hair down, relax, maybe get some me time. I hate to say it, but it's kind of like I deserve this night. To enjoy myself. Well, I, I If I drink a little bit too much, it's okay, okay. Because I earned it. It's
1: Halloween. It. And, I mean, we've all been there. I was in college. And right. I looked forward to Halloween because I was on the swim team. Right. So you can, you can relate to I this. I can absolutely relate. I think that Halloween was a day to look forward to and just say, oh, my gosh, I can have a fun night and not have to have a care in the world. But anyway, so Chris. Went, right. Okay. So So yeah, you
0: you were a collegiate collegiate athlete too, just I like was. Chris.
1: Exactly, just like Chris.
0: So you have to work out hard? You do. And school doesn't slow down.
1: Not at all. In fact, you know, he's probably getting close to like the midterms or maybe he just had midterms or he's going to approach, you know, finals after Thanksgiving. So definitely Halloween, you can say it was a night for him to have some fun, which is what he did. He went to the Lone Tree Bar. He had some drinks.
0: he, He was there with his girlfriend.
1: He was there with his girlfriend. And so at some point, though, I guess there's conflicting testimony, but Chris... It was said it had spilled a drink on his lap, and so it looked like he urinated himself.
0: And uh, again, we all know people who have been there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. So, you know, at laundry bar, you know, they decided the
0: the bouncer saw what appeared to be a guy who didn't have his stuff together. And here's where the facts differ a little bit. The bouncers were interviewed at some point and they said that Chris appeared intoxicated. You can be intoxicated, not just by alcohol. You can be intoxicated through a lot of different substances.
1: Oh, right. It can be really anything. Medicine.
0: Could be pills. Drugs. Could be weed. Could be uh, cocaine, heroin, X, Y, and Z. Okay. And they said, the bouncer said, he appeared to be intoxicated.
1: So that's one... So that's that's why
0: he was kicked out. They saw what appeared to be urination in his crotch area, and he appeared to be intoxicated.
1: Right. So he was kicked out of the bar. He went out of the bar without his cell phone or wallet. And it said that... He started walking towards his apartment where he lived, which it's called Hennepin Avenue, the avenue he started to walk up. And there's actually a big bridge. It's called the Hennepin Bridge. Hennepin Bridge.
0: Hennepin Bridge, I believe. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. The Twin Cities. The
1: Hennepin Bridge. And so... That night, that was it. it. That's That's it. That's it. The next day, his friends started to search diligently for him, didn't know where he was at. His
0: mom and his dad knew there was something wrong.
1: Exactly. I mean, he's not a kid who is just going to go off for a couple of days and, you know, disappear like apparently he did. And so that's why they were searching for him. They called police the first day. Police told them sorry, you know, we need to wait at least three days to do a missing persons report. And...
0: That was huge.
1: And so, yeah. So, actually, in some of the articles that we've read, police didn't start investigating his disappearance until five days after Halloween. That's horrible. That's, T-
0: timing is everything in anything you do in this world. It, definitely. That's not... It's none truer than in a criminal investigation... And the police there didn't feel as though this was a criminal investigation.
1: No. So even when they started investigating the murder or not even murder, the disappearance, they came to the conclusion that this Chris killed himself. This was a suicide.
0: That couldn't be right.
1: And so Chris's parents and his family and friends were no way. It's it's not a suicide. I mean, Chris had a lot to live for. He had, He was a business school, he was a business major. He already had job interviews lined up. He knew what he was going to do. This isn't a a kid that's going to commit suicide. That's just that's not right. And so Chris's parents actually decided that they were going to hire a private investigator, a private detective, which they actually did the first or second day that Chris went missing. And so this private investigator, his name is Chuck Lesh, and he started to dig into what happened that night at the Lone Tree Bar. And, you know, he talked to the bouncers who said the story. You know, he appeared intoxicated. We had to kick him out. And then, you know, talking to a lot of people. Well, it wasn't actually until February of 2002.
0: February 27th, 2003. About four two, months so later.
1: Yeah, 2003. So about four months later, four months after Halloween, a woman walking down the Hennepin Bridge sees what she thinks is a body, so she calls 911. And it is, in fact, Christopher Jenkins' body. And I think what's weird about the whole thing, and this is kind of where we start to get conflicting accounts of what went on. Chris's body was found... Face up. So he's in the water. He's his body's on face up. His arms are crossed on his chest. Mm. So his arms are crossed on his chest. His Halloween costume, he was that night he was wearing uh what an Indian an
0: Indian. A Native American Indian. Costume. He dressed
1: <laughs> up yeah, he yeah. dressed up as a Native American. It was fully intact. He actually had both his shoes on too, which is kind of, you know crazy at four months later. And then he also had a clump of hair in his hand when they found the body too. So, you know, obviously they take the body goes in, you know,
0: so they thought the police back in 2002 in Minnesota, Minneapolis, they said that Chris died by suicide. Right. Yes. And so there are three different scenarios. Either he died by suicide or it was an an accidental death or homicide. And the police for the longest time, for how many years said it was a suicide?
1: For four years.
0: From 2002 to 2006, the police chief of Minneapolis, Mr. Dolan, said this was a suicide.
1: Yes, you're right. Uh, but I need to double check that because I think it in 2006 when a new police chief came along, Dolan came along, he then said it was a homicide.
0: Okay. Okay. Point being is this for about four years, everybody in, in Minneapolis thought this was a suicide.
1: Right, exactly. And then
0: one day they come out and say, no. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and shift gears and say it's a homicide.
1: That's kind of crazy. Four years later?
0: It's like, good luck getting any type of resolution for this family. Meanwhile, you've got the mom and, and dad sitting there saying, no way did my son kill himself. He was a happy guy, lacrosse team, all, all, all American, yeah. a smart guy who had business jobs lined up.
1: Exactly. There's no way he had so much to love for, he had friends, he was a happy guy. He had no issues with depression or anxiety. He yeah. wouldn't kill
0: himself. To to me when I when we first discussed this case, Brooke, to me these are the scenarios that I thought. I did, I never thought he killed himself or never I never thought he did suicide. Um, I thought maybe maybe he it was one of those nights where you let your hair down, maybe you have a little too much to drink and whenever you have a little too much to drink Accidents happen. That's what I was thinking. That's where I yeah. was going to. Uh, we've all had those friends that have had way too much to drink back in college, law school, and anything is possible if you don't have a good group of friends protecting him or her. That's what I was thinking.
1: Right. I think that suicide for me, when I read this case and looked at all the facts and circumstances surrounding it, I, I don't think, how could he have committed suicide? Because really the only plausible way he could have committed suicide that night is by jumping off of yes. the Hennepin Bridge. And so, you know, what they said, what investigators police said is if he jumped off the bridge, he would have had bruises on his body, his, you know, his I'm sure his shoes would have been off first of all. Yeah. His
0: costume. costume
1: would have definitely not been in place like it been was. disheveled Exactly. And so really suicide just did not make sense. So then you know, obviously, I start thinking homicide because, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Let's talk about yeah. his BAC too.
0: Yes. So for the longest time, you th- you thought you ruled out suicide.
1: I did. I did not think it ever could have been suicide, especially okay. with the facts that we were given.
0: I don't know if I necessarily ruled out suicide, but I gravitated towards some sort of accident, um, and this is when my mind changed when the medical examiner or excuse me the autopsy report was released and they found something called ghb in his system
1: well here's the thing though is ghb is a naturally occurring substance in your body so do we know that the amount of ghb was naturally occurring or was he actually drugged with ghb
0: and you're the one that researched that. So you tell us,
1: bro. <laughs> I, I can't say I really researched it, but I definitely Googled it. And Google tells me that GHB is a naturally occurring substance in your body. And it produces, your body produces about 0.5 to 1 milligram per liter. And I think that they found what 0. 0.57 milligrams yeah.
0: that's what I remember
1: yeah
0: yeah and so we've had so there was a medical examiner that was that was interviewed for this case Cyril Wecht. Cyril Wecht Cyril Wecht is a medical examiner from Pennsylvania Cyril Dr. Wecht said that oh the amount of GHB in his system that's naturally occurring but Medical examiners and forensic pathologists, this is science, and sometimes it's not black and white, and we can always differ. What I look to is the bouncer, the bouncers at this bar were almost immediately interviewed by the private investigator, Chuck. Chuck, Le- what was his last name? Chuck Lesh. By Chuck Lesh. And the police report notes that the bouncers said, he was intoxicated or appeared intoxicated, but guess what? Exactly: The amount of ethanol or BAC or alcohol found in his system was very, very low.
1: It was It was about 0.12.:
0: Now a lot of people listening to 0.12 are like, "Oh my gosh, isn't the legal limit of intoxication 0.08?" Guys, in the state of Texas, in 1990, intoxication was 0.10. Just about 10 years ago, did they lower it to 0.08? Well,
1: about 20 years ago.
0: They lowered it to 0.08, not that long ago. And so 0.12, that's half a drink over a 0.08 or over a 0.10. It's nothing for a six foot one lacrosse college student who's probably drinking every weekend.
1: Yeah, he's about 200, what'd they say, about 200 pounds-ish, yeah. maybe more. That's nothing. It's really not, that's not a high BAC for someone who, yeah. according to bouncers, was highly intoxicated. So then we look to, well, was there something else in his body?
0: And that was the GHB. And
1: that was the GHB. And they did find GHB, but the medical, or not the medic the forensic... Pathologist. Pathologist said that that was a natural. Cyril? Cyril, Cyril, Wecht. Cyril. Yeah, Cyril. Dr. Wecht. So, Cyril says that, that's, that amount, the amount of GHB found in his body was naturally occurring. Yeah. That that was not something from a drug.
0: But experts will always differ.
1: They will. And so, that's the thing with experts is just because you get one expert opinion does not mean that that's something to drive home with.
0: Yeah. To me, you got to go off of what the bouncers saw with their own two eyes the night that this kid went missing.
1: Right. Exactly. Because I mean, all we know, okay, highly intoxicated. You and I both know that that's a very conclusory statement. That doesn't really tell us a lot. That is what he's highly intoxicated. So how is he acting? Was he belligerent? Was he stumbling over himself? Was he saying crazy things? It's kind of hard because we don't really know a lot about what they meant by highly yeah. intoxicated. But their bouncer bouncers at a shady bar, and they've probably seen a lot of highly intoxicated right, right. people.
0: And I don't know if we hit on this too much, but apparently this bar, what's the name of this bar again?
1: Lone Tree Bar.
0: Apparently Lone Tree Bar, it's in the shady downtown area of Minneapolis.
1: Yeah, so I mean. So
0: you're not going to kick someone out for .12
1: you're not going to kick someone out because maybe they're, you know, spilled their drink on yeah, their pants. Or you're not
0: going to. I'm sure he was acting a little bit strange and a little bit intoxicated, whatever that may be. Maybe out of his senses. If he's got GHB in his system, that's weird for a guy to have GHB in his system. I hate to say that it's normal for a girl, and that's horrible for a. It's us not. To it's
1: not normal way. for yeah. a girl to have GHB in her system. The Let's point, just say that it is
0: not normal for a girl to have GHB in her system. But it's much more rare to find a guy with GHB in his system than a girl, unfortunately.
1: I mean, from what we know. Um, but, yeah, I, so... <laughs>
0: well, absolutely. absolutely. It's a date rape drug, guys. It's the drug that guys use to prey on, on poor women.
1: And women could... And men could pay... You I mean, prey on, on other men or vice versa. Or, you know, I but mean, it, it can be used. Anyone can get raped.
0: But it's not really a drug that guys take... Hey, let's let's just do let's do a line of GHB. It's <laughs> no. not that type of drug. Typically, if GHB is in your system, it's in there because you didn't you, unannounced to you. It somehow got in your system. Unfortunately,
1: right, exactly. So, so that's the th- so that's kind of one of the question marks in this case is how much, if any, GHB did he have in his system? There is actually an account of someone a guy who was at the Lone Tree Bar two months prior to this incident with Chris Jenkins. So October, September. So like, let's say August, he was there in August. And he said that he got drugged with GHB. GHB was in his drink. And when he walked out of the bar, a man or a couple men tried to pull him in their car. Mm. So they wow. described this incident. He described this incident just a few months before Chris went missing. And that's so, horrible. you know, that kind of maybe gives us some evidence that, you know, there's some foul play going on at this yeah. bar in this area. So
0: that's horrible. But, you know, so what are, what are the legal, what are the legal principles that you take away from this case so far?
1: So, I mean, one thing that I think about is what really sticks out to me is I can't believe it took four years for police to actually rule this as a homicide.
0: Well, to me, yeah, that's one for me. Another one for me is I can't believe they had the rule that I'm sorry, it's a missing person, and then we're not really going to start investigating this until three days pass.
1: Well, that's what I think too because, and that's what you exactly, you kind of, Exactly what I was thinking, said exactly what I was thinking because there's a there's a concept in law enforcement or maybe detectives who say that for murders. Okay, so say there's an actual murder, they knew that there's a murder, they will find the most crucial evidence in the first forty eight hours of that murder. And I think there's actually a show called First Forty Eight. So, um <laughs> for all those you know, crime nerds like myself. Um, but and so you know, never heard of it. Okay, well, it's good. I'm kidding. Um, and so the first forty eight hours for that murder are really crucial. Well, it seems like you could apply the same principle to a missing person case. Like the first forty eight hours that person goes missing could be really crucial.
0: And it was. It was. It's 2020 and this murder or whatever you homicide has still gone unsolved.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, if, what if they started looking for Chris or a search team went out, you know, that first day? Maybe they would have found his body. Maybe they would have found some evidence of someone having done something. But, you know, we also have to look at the other side of the token because if they say, OK, we're, we're going to go ahead and do away with this three day rule. I mean, does yeah. that open them up to how many or countless, you know, having to search for? Oh, I couldn't find my son for a couple hours. Yeah, you're right. You know, so I guess you have to look at both sides. But, but in the case like this, I don't know. Yeah, maybe.
0: Well, okay, you're right about that. Time goes on, and there's a a dude from Minneapolis who does end up committing at least. Was it one or two murders, this gentleman?
1: Oh, I want to
0: say just one. One murder. So there's a guy in the Minneapolis penitentiary who's there for murder. And information comes forward that maybe he was involved in Chris's homicide or disappearance.
1: Exactly. And so law enforcement investigators actually reach out to him and... Ask him, I mean, point blank, like, hey, do you?
0: He's a shady character, yeah.
1: Do you know anything a about this murder? Guy. But what's what we know is that he was actually a frequent visitor of the luntry bar
0: that tells you what type of bar this was, yeah, exactly. Which I wonder why Chris was even there.
1: Well, it's Halloween,
0: he was letting his hair down, and I bet you this <laughs>
1: maybe it was bar hopping.
0: Bar hopping that's what we all did back in the day, that's yeah. what he was doing.
1: Probably, you know, just maybe there was a good place, fun place to go for college kids or just anyone. But anyway, I mean, he was there. That's besides the point. The thing is, is this guy, what's his name? I'm looking at up right now. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. This guy. This guy. He was in... The pen penitentiary for having committed a pretty gruesome murder so like I said investigators reached out to him asking him for maybe just any insight or asking him if he had anything to do with Chris Jenkins and he actually in one interview or in, to one letter he actually did respond and he told the detective that I'm not going to comment about a murder that I haven't been convicted of. Right. So what does that say to you? I mean, does that, do you think he's guilty because of that statement?
0: That's what Chris's mom thinks.
1: It is what Chris's mom thinks. She thinks that, you know, her statement about that was that, you know, that just says everything. That just is an essentially a confession on his part.
0: Right. And Which I mean, it's just
1: maybe, maybe he'll
0: come forward. I don't know. It's just sad, but you cannot, you have to take the credibility of the person as well. And this person, he's in the pen. He's killed someone before. Hey, let me just act like a bigger hard ass and say, I killed this kid too, or make it seem like I did. That's maybe. the sad part. That's the sad part. I
1: mean, he doesn't really have that much to lose by yeah admitting he killed someone else. I mean, he'll be there forever regardless. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that's one thing with these communications or letters or whatever, any correspondence with someone who may be accused of a crime is it can kind of be construed in any way the victim's family or law enforcement wants it to be. Would you wouldn't you agree with that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. I feel bad for Chris's mom, Jan, Jan Jenkins. She wrote a book about her son's death.
1: What was the book called?
0: The footsteps of Chris Jenkins, I believe, or the footprints. Um, and she interviewed on it, and she said she completely believes that th- that Chris was killed by the guy in prison. That's what she believes.
1: She does. And it's just, it's unfortunate that we don't know more about the case and don't have, there's, you know, there's conspiracy theorists out there who say maybe Chris was killed by a group called the Smiley Face Killers. And the Smiley Face Killers, they, I don't know if they were a group, a cult or something, but, like, they were people who had killed maybe 40-plus white men who were all in college. And these murders spanned about 11 states. And what they do, their signature is after a murder, they leave like a smiley face graffiti near the body. And apparently where Chris's body near, where Chris's body was found, there was one of these maybe smiley faces. And so that's, some people think maybe he was a victim of that.
0: Yeah, that's a theory as well. This just tells you how important law enforcement is and investigation is. Without a proper investigation, here we are. What if that what if this what if that?
1: Exactly. You I mean, you just you don't know and I mean, what do you think though because there was this Chuck and, Lesh. Yeah, I mean, Chuck, he started started investigating. Well,
0: Chuck was hired by the parents. Chuck is going to go ahead and put his spin on it. To whatever the parents want to hear, I hate to say it. To whatever's going to keep on getting him paid.
1: That's true. I hate
0: to say it. Chuck's getting paid by the parents. The parents don't think his son committed suicide. Parents aren't going to think his son, their son is a bad guy. Parents aren't going to think he's he's hanging out with shady people.
1: No, his parents don't want to hear that it was an accident. I mean, some people think maybe it was an accident. Maybe he had to go pee, so he walked down by the river and he fell and... Because even it if an dead.
0: even if an arrest is ever made, it's going to be so hard to prove it to, I agree. to to get a conviction out of this. Because you have the police on record saying we made a mistake. I'm sorry to the Jenkins parents. We made a mistake. Four years later,
1: you're right. They so,
0: I hate to say it, but they ruined this thing for the Jenkins family.
1: The police did. Yes. Police can make mistakes, though. Police can make mistakes and then say, hey, I did something wrong, and we're going to look at it on another angle.
0: Yeah, this case is over, though. I'm sorry. Why? This will be an unsolved mystery for a very long time, if not forever.
1: You think so? Yes.
0: And And I hate to say it, but yes. The things that were supposed to have been done weren't done.
1: The thing is, is there's... I mean, everything is just so... There's so many questions surrounding the case. And some
0: killer is out there knowing that he killed this young man with a bright future. And it probably gives him pleasure. That should make each and every one of us sick.
1: It should make us want to hold law enforcement accountable for what they do. You know, they can't just say, hey, it's a suicide. That's close case.
0: They drag their feet and this is what you get. Exactly. And it's so surprising that you would drag your feet on a bright young guy. You know what I mean?
1: Are you saying that they only drag their feet? With- yes,
0: I'm saying that. I am saying that. Really? I'm saying that if you have a victim that we all can identify with and that's a sympathetic victim, that is an ongoing theme. The media picks up on it when it's a quote unquote, college student, captain on the lacrosse team, All-American, the media, they love caring stories like that. They don't love caring stories of, of the homeless guy that was murdered under the bridge.
1: Perhaps, perhaps that's true. But, you know, I think in a lot of cases, I mean, you even see little misdemeanor cases and you have the cops who are, don't care to do a full investigation or, you know, they, they're just, they get... Yeah. Lazy. Well, unfortunately, you're
0: right. At the end of the day, I think Chris had too much to drink. Not excuse me. Didn't have too much to drink. He was poisoned by GHB and people took advantage of him.
1: I I think that he, I think I do believe that it was a murder. I do. I really, I do believe that he was murdered. I don't think that it was an accident. I don't think that it was suicide. Um, I think, you know, if he did have GHB in his system, maybe that was intentional by someone. Maybe it was unintentional, but he got somewhere he shouldn't have been and someone killed him. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's so many theories on this case, and it'd be interesting to see what all of our listeners think about it.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a sad story. Even though it happened in 2002, it still hurts sitting here talking about a guy who had a bright future who died.
1: And that we don't know who killed him. Yeah. And so that's our Halloween murder series part two.
0: Okay. We'll talk to you guys later.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye, guys.